This is the Accidental Safety Pro brought to you by HSI. This episode was recorded April 13th, 2022. My name is Jill James, HSI's Chief Safety Officer. And today my guest is Sabina Colligan. Sabina is a certified industrial hygienist, a certified safety professional, and is a health and safety coach and consultant at S. Colligan Coaching. She's also an Air Force veteran, executive coach, and chair-elect of the board for Global EHS Credentialing. She has dedicated her efforts to leadership and community outreach, thought leadership, community and influence related to occupational health and safety. In addition to delivering content in person, Sabina is a blogger at sabinacolligan.com, a blog designed to relate industrial hygiene to daily activities. Sabina is joining us today from her home in Atlanta. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jill. So Sabina, tell us, tell us your origin story. How did all of this get started for you? I ran into safety as an accident. Um, <laughs> very, I, I find that my life is a series of fortunate events. Hmm. And one of those fortunate events was going to the United States Air Force. I did not have an intention on going into industrial hygiene, but based off of my academic background, they said, hey, this is the best fit for the Air Force. <laughs> so Wow. So what was your academic background that made them say that? I had a lot of uh, math and science and mm -hmm. I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And going into the military, I was like, well, maybe I can get into a program that will send you to be a physician's assistant. And I was, I was excited about that. And I had five jobs that I could choose from. <laughs> and four of them were medical related to go into the next steps for that physician's assistant program. The fifth was industrial hygiene, still in the medical um, organization. Yeah. And the person on the other side of the table, don't know her name, said, just put it, it's number five, you'll never get it. Um, and that's <laughs> exactly what I got, <laughs> which turned out to be fortunate for me. Oh, <laughs> that's great. So, so you, so you, you started to learn about what the practice of industrial hygiene is through the Air Force. I, I got immersed yeah. <laughs> and it was beautiful because I got to do everything. Um, we basically ran a small city mm -hmm. with very hazardous, um, processes, hazardous materials, um, all of the things that you just don't get to see. We had lead and copper pipes. We had uh, water sampling in wells. We had um, planes crashing in the middle of Roswell, New Mexico, riding out in military caravans and <laughs> having you know local news say that there was a UFO sighting. I got <laughs> to do all of the things that you could even imagine in the industrial hygiene field. Well, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's interesting, including the UFO part and being in Roslyn. Um, <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's one I have not heard about from any health and safety professional yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were a very lucky group of uh -huh. group of professionals that day. Yeah, and and so as you continued to learn more as you advanced in your career in the Air Force, kind of what was what was happening at that time? You know, were you were you looking ahead and thinking, what am I going to do this with this post Air Force? Yeah, so the plan was to continue on this pathway to become a physician's assistant, 
I was not interested in industrial hygiene, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed doing my job. Yeah. So if there was one incident where we had this adhesive. So it was just like a glue, but it was meant for an aircraft. And in one one department, they would put this glue on to a component of the aircraft, and it had 70% lead in it. But it was an adhesive, so there wasn't really an exposure because it was all in the glue. But then later on in the process, another group of people, there were over 300 people assigned to that department, would have to sand it off. Hmm. So they were exposed. Mm -hmm. And it was something so small, but I I knew about it. I saw it. We were able to find um, an alternative to it, and we eliminated it across the board. Mm, you followed the hierarchy of controls and you nailed it at the top. Right. Yeah. And it was something so simple because the department yeah. where we found it, we just traced it all the way through. We hadn't done any exposure assessments. We didn't know that this other group was being exposed. But because it was present, even though it wasn't a significant hazard to these other folks, we were able to eliminate it for someone else. And I was like, whoa. So I'm like a superhero behind the scenes, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. Like, I, I've definitely got this. And But really, I was, I was saving someone's life mm-hmm. or their quality of life. And they didn't know about it. I, I've, I will never meet all of those people that no longer came in contact with it. But it felt really good. So that actually shifted. I was like, well, I'm not really into blood that much, but I can still save people. I can still do really good for others. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. So then what happened? Did you, did you sort of dig more in and continue with the industrial hygiene path while you're in the air force or? Yeah. I stayed industrial hygiene after that. Um, that was where all my education was. The CIH was the, the next big goal. Um, I became a certified safety professional, and um, after six years in the Air Force, I made the transition into private industry, state industrial hygiene. Um, even as I moved over into more generalist responsibilities, I still say that industrial hygiene is my superpower. Mm-hmm. It's that different lens that allows me to look at hazards, um, uh, just evaluate in a different way it makes it very special for me at least Um, i love industrial hygiene and i will stay an industrial hygienist the remainder of my career Mm -hmm. sabina what was it like for you to go from government service into the private sector huge shock yeah right (laughs) it is so it's it's so different yeah, which parts were which parts were shocking to you? The first, and I had this conversation not that long ago. There was so much more diversity in my career field in the Air Force. Mm. So when I came out, it was like, oh, this is different. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was a big difference for me, especially coming into the corporate side of my private industry work, but even the technologies, we hated our, um, 
occupational and environmental health system where we put all of our data, all of our um, hazards, everything went into this one place. Mm-hmm. And when I came to private industry, I was like, what are these Excel spreadsheets? And it's like the the use of technology and access, that was hard. And then the consistency of systems. Yeah. So different. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was my experience as well, having worked for the government in my first job um, too. Uh, same thing. Big shock to the system about, well... It was about systems, actually. It was having <laughs> systems to having no systems. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. Yeah. So have you found yourself implementing more systems since making that transition from government to private industry? Yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, and it also has to do probably with just one of my internal strengths of of analyzing things to try to make sense in order of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's not to say that the government systems that I worked with were flawless or super easy. They weren't, but they were a system that everyone used. And so there was one, you know, one source of truth, one place to go. You, you There wasn't like, oh, we're going to go here for this or go, or they're doing it, you know, in their silo over here like this, you know, you know like that kind of stuff. And, and so, um, yeah, as I've moved forward with my career, it's like trying to make make systems and make things make sense yes i i don't know that it's a way of being for me um i if you look in my house especially in my closets you would (laughs) see that there is no system however in my work life i really have i've been able to stand out in places because systems management just makes sense to me it's like this is the and it doesn't, it's a great way to go do it. It doesn't mean it's the best way for everything, but it does create some consistency in decision-making and it helps with different turnover, great resignation, um, yep. all of those things. Yep. yep. To be able to step into that. So tell me, tell me more about your private sector work life. And I, I mean, I know that you're also an entrepreneur now, but kind of how did you, how did you get to, um, through those places to, to develop into an entrepreneur? Yeah, a lot of struggle, um, a lot of self-reflection, and a lot of alignment. So when I say that, there was the issue of not belonging. And for me, most of my private sector career has been being the only woman and or the only woman of color or the only person of color in the professional group um, amongst middle-aged white men. Mm -hmm. And not in a negative way. I've learned so much from my colleagues. The struggle was really finding belonging and connectedness connectedness, um, and and feeling included. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that really shifted some of my my vision around what my career would look like mm-hmm. um, before it was like yes I'm gonna go be this vice president of EHS and do all of these things and then it it was a little bit of a shift it was like well will you really be happy um, and working through 
I've had some incredible experiences. I came out as a corporate industrial hygienist, moved into EHS general roles. So having that broad skill, moved out to being a regional manager, um, or I had a very large site in a region. And in all of that, there was just like this sense of something was missing. Um, and at, at some point, Jill, I just, I was overworked. I was under-resourced. I was undervalued. And I had had to have the compensation conversation more than once where I was not being valued the same as my peers. Mm -hmm. um, even with the master's degree, the CIH, the CSP, some of my colleagues weren't even eligible to get to those points. And here I was really just dominating, moving programs forward, implementing systems, and being told to be grateful that I was able to be there, right? Um, and it was, it was at some point that I just hit this extreme burnout and I sat on the couch for two days. I sent my dog to daycare because I couldn't care for another soul. And I had hit my rock bottom and it was like, so how do you get out of here? And through all of my yoga and meditation, but then also business strategy, I had a plan. And so I implemented the plan. I took care of my people. That was really important to me to make sure my team was taken care of. And I did it again somewhere else. And after that, it was like, I could do this all the time. Like that was all, that was what I loved. I was like, I was creating strategies. I was mm -hmm. looking at ways to resource my programs. I was sharing it with others. It was working for others. And it led me to doing what I love all of the time, which is where I started my coaching and consulting business. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you saw, you saw, you saw the gifts that you had, you knew that you could pick it up and replicate it from place to place and figured what the heck, why don't I just do this? Yes. Right? Because at the end of the day, as a career field, we are overworked and under-resourced across mm -hmm. the board. Mm-hmm. It's just too much. And so why not, right? Like, why not the same way that um, we have the conversation about saving someone's life, when we really look at it, when we are so burnt out, our lives are not in our control. Our lives don't feel full, right? It's not fulfilling. Right. And it's really providing the same avenues to have a better fulfillment in life while also enjoying what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. So you've been you've been an entrepreneur now for how long? Um, so this is actually my second business. So um, oh, okay, yeah, it's so cool. Um, so this will be year three for my first, and then for the coaching and consulting. Today is exactly six months since oh. I launched. <laughs> Congratulations. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. Happy half birthday. That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, Sabine, I wanted to circle back with you on, um, you know, you had mentioned when you came, what you noticed coming out of the Air Force was the lack of diversity in the private sector. And that's 
that's none of, none of what you said is a surprise to any of us in the EHS profession. We know that um, women and women of color are underrepresented in our in our field of work. However, I've been under the impression it's been getting better, which I believe it has, but you shared with me a statistic recently that made me go, oh crap, we still have so much further to go. So would you mind talking about the current statistics of what we know about our profession and representation? Yeah. So um, Christina Roll actually wrote an article and I believe it was 27% of the profession was women. And then there was a 2018 study that was released by ASSP, um, the American Society of Safety Professionals, and that number was reduced. I believe it was 19% were women and then maybe 22% were certified safety professionals. Somewhere around that realm. So we're still we're still very low. And to that point, there was nothing about um, racial or ethnic diversity and other forms of diversity that we should be looking at. Mm -hmm. This is just gender. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. La another another lagging <laughs> another <laughs> lagging indicator, like like medical studies that are all focused on. Um, men of a certain age, right? And leaving out all kinds of other people. Yeah. Yeah. So gosh, we have a ways to go, women, to get this <laughs> to get more people into <laughs> our field, right? And so Sabina, in your work um with with your with your both of your entrepreneurial businesses, um, and you're doing coaching now, are you finding yourself um coaching, you know, more women are trying to reach that audience to encourage people in our in our field of work. Yes, you know, what I find interesting about this, Jill, is that this is an us problem, right? Like yeah. it's not yeah. just women that need to catch the ball and keep rolling. However, it feels like more women are wanting to step up more women are taking on those volunteer opportunities creating more opportunities in their organizations um, but really we need our male counterparts to start saying hey i'm there's too many men in this circle how do i make space for some of these really excellent women that are moving the field forward mm -hmm how do we create more opportunity to get out there in the universities and start recruiting some of the STEM students, um, especially women, as we get more young women into STEM, how do we allow them the opportunity to see how they can help others? And it's such a challenge because most of my clients are women. Hmm. Most of my corporate clients, um, that bring me in to work with their teams. These are the women senior managers and directors that see the opportunity for professional development in their teams. Yeah. And it's that type of care that is translating so much into the corporate landscape that we're seeing. So tell me, Sabina, with with your with your role in um, consulting and coaching right now, 
what are some of the areas that you're working with professionals on, especially for people who are listening and are thinking, hmm, I've never really thought about having my own personal coaching, you know, experience, <laughs> regardless of, you know, regardless of who I am or where I am in my career path. What does yeah. it look like for people? It's so fun because it's meeting people exactly where they are. So whether it is, I don't know where I want to go next. Yeah. Let's go explore it. Um, some people that I work with are really struggling with creating boundaries. And mm-hmm. you and I both have experienced this as health and safety professionals. There really is no boundary, right? They hand you a cell phone. <laughs> you have your emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may work early mornings, late nights, weekends, whatever. Yep. If if the organization, if the company is open, we may need you. Yep. Um, because there's no, like, oh, people don't get hurt after 5 p.m. Yeah. Um, so, uh-huh. <laughs> right. So now we're, we're looking at how people are treated, people valuing their time differently. And where do we start creating this boundary um, for work? Psychological safety. Burnout is happening. Um, and that's, that's usually the first reason that I'm brought in for a team. It's like, hey, my team is burnt out. We need help on figuring out, one, where are we in this spectrum? And what strategies can we put in place to do our work more effective, efficiently, and sustainably to not get back in that space? Because either you get out of burnout or you're losing people. Mm -hmm. Or if they do stay your workload, your productivity just goes down because you've got someone that's just unhappy. They're literally in a state of despair. Um, So that's where a lot of the work is happening on top of just finding ways to reconnect to the joy of the health and safety profession. Yeah. 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 And so um, I'm wondering, do you do you work with people then on resiliency? Um, and what does that, what does that look like? Yes. Um, so we have a couple of different ways because each person is different. Mm -hmm. So for some people, we strictly talk about energy management and that is creating Mm non-negotiables and non-negotiables really help you set up your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And in those non-negotiables, I ask four questions and this is for self-reflection. I don't ask people to share them with me unless they want to talk through them. Mm -hmm. And those four questions, not really four questions, but four statements are, I will not do, Mm -hmm. I will do, I can do with my current resources, I could do with additional resources. Mm. And it crosses the span of, personal and professional life. So it may be, I will not miss my family milestones, my anniversary, graduations, recitals. I will not miss those things. Um, I could work until 9 p.m. if I had childcare or if I started work at 12 p.m. instead of 7 Mm a.m. And so creating those boundaries really sets the tone for sometimes the difficult conversations that need to happen. But the other side of that is 
you shift from hopelessness where it's like, what am I doing into now I know where my actions need to go in order to make all of these statements true. Sure. And, and really is self-reflective, like you said, in a way that can help people just, just with those questions, which are beautiful. And I'll ask you to repeat them in a second. Um, you know, like, can I do this in the environment that I'm currently in and what would it look like? What would it look like for that to happen? Or yeah, it's time for me to go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So would you, Sabina, would you mind repeating them again? Because I have a feeling people are probably going to take notes and be like, oh, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm at a crossroads here. I'm experiencing burnout or I'm overwhelmed. Let's think about this. Yes. It's, I will not do. I will do. I can do with current resources. I could do with additional resources. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. That's, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, I, I, there's a couple more questions based on things that we talked about <laughs> before. I'm like, oh gosh, I want to be able to get to all this stuff, Sabina. Um, you had shared with me, we were just talking about resiliency, and you had shared with me um, the title of a book called The Power of Rest or, and or Attention Restoration. Is, am I getting this right? Attention Restoration Theory? Yes. Do you mind talking about those things? Oh, yes. This is life-changing stuff here. <laughs> um, but really... in, in addition to those four questions, now we're going to go into another life-changing piece. Thank you, Sabina, for being here today. <laughs> um and this is really in the realm of that mindfulness practice. Yeah. And it shares the idea in mindfulness and energy management that when we say rest, it does not simply mean being a vegetable on a couch, Netflix and chill, but it actually shares the science behind getting out into nature and allowing your brain to um, allow the subconscious to work through problem solving and really providing a reset. And so it's like, you know, you go outside, you're frustrated. You're like, I'm looking at the same document. I need to solve the problem. I get, I'm nowhere. You put everything down, go for a walk. And then you come back and it's like the answer's there. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my gosh. So that's the attention restoration theory that getting out into nature is actually allowing different parts of your brain to solve problems and do their magic in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, Other really beautiful ways to um, get that same rest is, you know, doing some type of activity that's joyous for you that does not require, you know, the same problem-solving and cognitive skills. So for some people, it's painting, hiking, gardening, building an igloo. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, you're saying that because the last time we spoke, I was actually I had actually spent um, like a half a day building an igloo in my backyard because there was so much snow, and I was um, <laughs> I needed some attention restoration rest. Is that is that it? I needed some attention restoration and new ways to you know think about things. So I needed to shift my perspective. So I was explaining to Sabina that I was in my backyard building an adult igloo. Um, and then like all kinds of things happened, you know, thoughts, things mm-hmm. I needed to work through. Yeah. And it, it just gives that time and it's energizing, but it's that same type of rest. It is not, um, it doesn't take away from you needing to get the right number of rest cycles for you, which mm-hmm. the book also talks about like a full rest cycle and how to manage those because eight hours is a great number. But um, the book actually talks about how to do the science behind what your body actually needs to mm. restore itself. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just those opportunities to reset and recharge. And we live in such a toxic culture that such a toxic busyness culture. Right. That says if you're not being busy towards being productive, then you are it feels like almost like wasting your life or being useless to society. Right. But in reality, we need that time so that we can be more productive in our societies and more share more benefit Mm -hmm. to ourselves and others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So the book is called the power of rest, correct? Yes. And I think for the notes, I can um, get the author. I always forget the author. um, Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that'll be great. I have a feeling that people are going to be interested in this book. I I know I am. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Yeah, so as we continue, you know, we're we're talking so much today, Sabina, and I really appreciate this about... Um, you know, the, the, the care of us as professionals, right? I mean, we spend, as you said, and what ignites us and gets us excited is, is the abilities that we have in our professional disciplines to positively impact and protect the health and well-being for human beings. And it's what gets us up every day. It's what jazzes us. We, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're interested in worker justice, um, but we have to take care of ourselves. <laughs> Yes. And, and and we we deserve to be protected as well. Yeah, so you want to talk more about why that's so exciting for you? Yeah, absolutely. Protecting the health and safety profession and acknowledging that total worker health, um, total worker health for people in the audience that aren't aware, is a concept developed by the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. And it's an entire framework of just different areas of a person and organization that goes into how they are their well-being mm-hmm. and that well-being goes beyond the moment that they clocked in and clocked out the same way if someone had COVID, it would be like well i got COVID at home but it doesn't apply at work <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. Yeah. It, it's the whole person And after what I experienced with extreme burnout, um, I did really get to a place of despair. I had no clue. I I didn't share this with you. I actually wanted to quit um, health and safety altogether. Mm. I was going to open a a juice bar. 
I was like, it can't be any. You were going to check out hard. Okay. I was. I was like, this is my only way out. I just must run the other direction. Mm -hmm. Um, And my spouse said, well, your juice bar is now as big as Starbucks. What are you going to do with all your money? I was like, I'm going to buy a private jet and fly health and safety professionals around the world to protect third world countries. And I was like, oh, never mind. (laughs) I still still love it. it. Yeah, you're still in it. (laughs) I'm still here. Um, So, right, but we have to be protected in order to not get to that place because if I hadn't checked out, what if what if that person that is checked out is no longer caring about the programs that they're producing? They're walking past those near miss behaviors or the behaviors that could lead to a significant injury or fatality. Mm-hmm. And just by them not having the energy to look and correct behavior, they're telling the organization and the culture that it's okay. So then those behaviors continue to multiply. And those are the things that we can't afford if if we're going to get to zero fatalities, which is what the National Safety Council is pushing for. Mm-hmm. Then we have to have the right people with the right motivation that are looking for the right knowledge that are willing to put in the energy that it takes to move entire organizations, Mm -hmm. which means we have to get protected too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So a couple different directions I want to ask you about there. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, Circling back total worker health and the framework around it is from NIOSH. Is that what you said? Yes. Yes. Okay. So if someone wants to look that up or maybe we can include that in the show notes as well, is that some, it, um, Sabina, it's a, it's a guidance document. So if people want somewhere to start, they can start there. Yes. NIOSH offers several resources under their total worker health. Uh, Michael Flynn is also one of the health and safety professionals that leads a lot of that research. And there are tons of webinars happening for free right now. Mm. I'm really talking about not only total worker health, but um, diversity, equity, and inclusion and occupational health and safety programs. Um, and even the underlying biases that are associated with our occupational health and safety programs or um, determinations and or regulations. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a great moment in time for us to be talking about that and addressing it. I mean, in, in particular, you know, it's, it's my belief. And from what I've been hearing from other health and safety professionals, when, when you were talking about, you know, other, others belief in, in our work and field of work, we had this unique opportunity afforded to us because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. to be brought into places and have seats at tables where many of us have never had them before because of our knowledge and backgrounds. And, and so we've, you know, like the door is cracked open. So let's keep going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And we have to, we, we have to, for the folks that got a seat at the table, one of my colleagues, he was having conversations with the C-suite once COVID-19 happened. And he got that seat at the table 
and we're right around the same, we enter the field around the same time. And he was that person speaking life into the protection of workers around the world for this company. And it's such an honor to have that door open. It's such an honor to get a seat at that table. And so now what we have to do is really work on how we remain in those spaces and grow our influence and also grow community behind the leaders that are making these decisions moving forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Sabina, what do you think are some of the hmm, forces? I want to talk about the um, the sunny side and the shady side, not shady as in bad, <laughs> but the, you know, the, the darker side, you know, the forces at play that, that can support that. And then the things that are at play that, um, that, that are challenging to people in our field right now in terms of taking care of us. Yeah. So one of the areas, and we don't have a lot of time to dig into this, but one of the areas that's emerging is ESG, Mm -hmm. um, the environmental, social, and governance Mm -hmm. that is being regulated by um, the SEC. I don't remember what SEC stands for at the moment, but they manage the money in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Securities and Exchange Commission. Or, yes, yeah, yeah. that is exactly what it is. So yeah. it's it's coming behind money. So one, E is everything environmental. S is all social to include safety, psychological safety, um, DEI, all of the things that are really impacting how we manage our businesses. Mm-hmm. So now companies that need to be aligned with ESG that are relying on any type of investments, contracts, a part of a supply chain, they will start to conform to ESG, mm-hmm. which is a really great sunny side because mm-hmm. we now have this streamlined avenue directly to the money that mm-hmm. can say, these are the things that we need to do to support. Along with ESG is coming these um, public disclosures. So just like we do annual reports mm-hmm. for a lot of these publicly traded companies, other companies outside of publicly traded, but especially publicly traded, will now have to talk about the things very specific to what they're doing because their environmental and safety practices will become liabilities for their the health of their business, which is a really big deal. Yeah. Um, so that is really, really, really sunny. On the other side of that, one, we, we're just kind of, we're behind in a lot of ways. Yeah. The profession embraces technology in some spaces especially (laughs) with um, direct reading instruments coming as an industrial hygienist i get my hands on some of the coolest toys out there Mm -hmm. but then you know we're not we're not leveraging technology the same Mm -hmm. and my concern with not leveraging that technology is one losing interest from incoming generations 
that have had technology since they could open their eyes. Um, some of these are like one-year-olds know how to operate an iPhone and get to YouTube to play Peppa Pig or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so losing interest is one of those areas, but then also not being able to translate to other business units within a company to really be taken seriously, to have that seat at the table because it feels archaic. And if you're not innovating and you're not evolving an organization, then that could become a challenge for really building that community and influence as well. Yeah, gosh, that's that's so true about our profession. Uh, you know, HSI as a as as a content and technology company, and you know when we're engaging with our customers and talking with environmental health and safety professionals, and we often ask like, you know, where are you on the technology journey? Because our assumption is they're behind. Mm-hmm. Because as a profession, you know, all of their all of our other cohorts and all of our other disciplines, whether it be you know, HR and people, you know, clocking in for their time with an optical scanner <laughs> to, yeah. to, to an HR professional or a EHS professional who's like Excel checklist clipboard, <laughs> you know, yes. like, you know, like we actually, you know, we actually have to ask, like, where are you on this journey? There isn't an assumption of that. And, you know, with some, with, with, um, with uh, the world of work being what it is in terms of employers competing for the best talent and getting talent at their at their at their places of employment, you know these things become really important. Like you said, you know if if you walk into a job where you've had technology in your hands since you were a one year old, and you walk into somewhere where it's like here's a checklist on a clipboard, go do this thing. <laughs> you know, what yes. are you? Yeah, where are you going to stay? And really engage. Yeah, really engaging with with the with the majority generation in the workforce right now. Yes, that, that is our responsibility. Yeah. Um, it's our responsibility to value people, yeah. value their experiences, value their interests. And there's six elements to burnout. And one of those elements is values mismatch. Mm. The opposite of burnout is actually job satisfaction. <laughs> I promise you, if you go through all six, it's job satisfaction on the other side. And so if we are missing that value mismatch, right, where people are looking to maximize the time that they have, um, we're just, we're going to continue to lose people. And technology equals more time and more time to enjoy life. And I think that's what across generations what COVID taught us was that time is limited yeah yeah and an awakening moment um for for the for the human body for certain it was in, in one regard or another yes yeah yeah um Sabina I, I know we don't have tons of time left today I want to be respectful of your time um, you've been you've been talking about you know working together and working with people in community and um, let's talk about teams if you wouldn't mind and what your observations are in terms of what makes a what makes a healthy team in yeah. in in a, you know in addition to eliminating burnout and having job satisfaction <laughs> yeah what 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 are you what are you seeing what are you recommending so there's um, 
there's some elements there that you need. You have to have psychological safety. And in order, with that psychological safety comes vulnerability. And once people are open, they're willing to connect. And if you are connecting with a person and they connect to values, to your leadership, to the job that they're doing, the workload, all of that, it makes a difference. Um, Earlier this week, I got to go to a panel where it was the mayor of Atlanta, Andre Dickens, and Tope Awatona, he is the CEO and founder of Calendly, and they were just valued at $3 billion, right? Like, just... A huge deal and we're in a room full of these high-profile technology business leaders um, in the Atlanta area and a couple hundred people were in the room and they kicked off and you know really asked for the origin story for Tope and in the midst of him talking as he was looking out in the crowd he stopped and in the same row that I was in um, to my left there were two people a male and a female he said, is that Reggie? Is that Alicia? He's, hey guys. <laughs> and they were, they were two Calendly employees. And he thanked them for coming on their off time to listen to this panel, right? Mm-hmm. And just valuing the people that were there. And he said, you know, earlier in the, the introductions, they flashed his Forbes cover and he said he felt uncomfortable because it was those people, it was the Reggie's and Alicia's, the 500 Calendly employees around the world that truly gave him community and that built that organization. So it wasn't being on stage. It wasn't being on Forbes. It was about taking care of people. And ultimately If anything is being told to us, it's that people are valuable. We're not productivity metrics. (laughs) We're more than just workhorses. And that type of reaction shows that within Calendly, there is that psychological safety, vulnerability, and connection. And what Tope demonstrated just deepens that connection more beyond those two folks that were there because they're going to go back and share. And it's just this, this beautiful, um, it's like a, a flowering, right? Like Mm -hmm. just a blossom Mm -hmm. of positivity and really, really being valued for who you are as a person. Yeah. And having a leader show their humanity, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, when, when, you know, if we were to, you know, what is the script that we're all, you know, if we're all given a script, a memo, a set of instructions of how to be a professional, how to be a leader, you know, be strong, be this, be brave, be decisive in your action. You know, you don't see on this list of this memo, these sets of instructions, like be human, see humanity, thank people sincerely for their work see in them the gift that they're giving to the greater good and acknowledge them for it you know like Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's not how we were that that's not how we were raised in our culture right no it yeah but that idea is shifting significantly yeah Um, Yeah. 75 percent of the workforce will be in this 
millennial range. Um, right? But when we have, we say millennials, we're not talking 20 year olds anymore. No. People that are 40 plus at this yeah. point, director levels, VP levels, they're saying we demand to be respected. We want to spend quality time with our families. We want to value the work that we're contributing to. We want to work for companies that are contributing to the better good of humanity and to our world that we're leaving behind for our grandchildren. Yeah, yeah. And the generation behind them who are also starting in the workforce feel the same way. Oh, they're kicking our butts. Totally. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my child is part of that generation and it's just to watch he and his his cohorts his friend group come up is yeah they're not they're not slackers they're not i went through a situation yesterday my niece she's in that younger generation and she quit her job um because she was feeling anxiety and wasn't being valued wasn't being respected and just the way that her her new supervisor was treating her and she weighed her options and she said my my value is more than what this person thinks that they can do and manipulate my life i'll go find a new job yeah right i mean and that's really hard for many in our society to take right because we were conditioned to believe that the more strikes the more hits that you took and endured that made you get to where you are today was all worth it yes but was it no that power (laughs) dynamic is shifting right 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 i mean the life we're living today in the present is what we have yes that's all we've got yeah yeah gosh i wish i would have (laughs) known some of those things when i was starting out (laughs) me too um i look at these these people coming into the workforce people that are making these significant changes and I adore everything that they are doing to own their lives. Yeah, yeah, and to be present. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for each day. And, and and to give their all when they are present, you know? Yes. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. It is. Pretty remarkable. Oh, Sabina, I think we could probably talk for a, a few <laughs> hours. And I hope our listeners are, are, feeling, are feeling the same way. I really appreciate all of the things that you've, You've shared so many um, wonderful, tangible things that people can be thinking about taking action on, looking into, and doing. Um, I really, really appreciate that. Um, do you have any any final um, thoughts, things you wanted to share, talk about, leave with our audience today? If I can leave the audience with anything, it's that we have one life to live and that you deserve to be valued, you deserve to be happy, and you deserve to do work that brings you joy. Perfect. Perfect. Sabina, thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. And thank you all for spending your time listening today. And more importantly, thank you for your contribution toward the common good, making sure your workers, including your temporary workers, make it home safe every day. If you aren't subscribed and want to hear past and future episodes, subscribe in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or any other podcast player you'd like. We'd love it if you could leave a rating and review us on iTunes. It really helps us connect the show with more and more health and safety professionals. 
Special thanks to Naeem Jiraisi, our podcast producer. And until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.